Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, you are tuned in to yet another episode of the Aptivate podcast brought to you by Remerge. Today, I am your host, Tommy, and today I have a particularly awesome guest on the line with me today. Everyone's awesome, but this is a person that I consider a friend in the industry, and we tried to record the podcast, I want to say it was like three or four months ago, maybe more, and unfortunately he had construction going on at his house, so I'm telling you, this episode was unbelievable, but it'll never see the light of day. No one will ever hear it. But it doesn't matter because we're back here today. I'm excited to record this episode. So without further ado, today's guest is Martin Lansing, who is the Senior Manager of Mobile Growth and Business Development at LinkedIn. Martin, what's going on? Doing well, Tommy. Great to see you as always. We did have a lot of fun during the last podcast, so it'll be tough to make the session as interesting for your audience, but we'll try our best. We'll do our absolute best. That's all you can do. Put your best foot forward to see where the cards fall. That's not a saying, but whatever. How's your day going? You get outside today. You're in SF. I always have to have you remind me. That's right. Yes. My wife and kid and I, we live just north of San Francisco in Ovado. We like to call it Slovado. It's just the sleepy burbs down in Marin. And it's been a good day. Typically on Fridays, I wake up early and I go mountain biking with some friends. It's a good force and function to get at least one weekly workout in. When you mountain bike, I've never done it, like real mountain biking. Are you expecting to fall at some point or like, is that something that doesn't generally happen? That's a good question because I think there's a reputation out there that mountain biking is extremely dangerous. I think two things. One, 10% of mountain bikers are probably a bit reckless. I think it's just the type of people that like to be involved in extreme sports. I'm a dad now, so I'm taking it easy. I'm not doing any extreme downhill mountain bike riding. It's just for the workout and the fun. Awesome. At some point, you might have to switch to road biking. Do you do any road cycling? I don't. I never got into it, even though here in Marin, it's really good to road bike. I actually think that road biking is more dangerous than mountain biking because you share the road with With the cars. F-150s, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, that makes sense. All right, cool. So you mountain bike most Fridays and you surf too. That's right. I think. One of the reasons I live here, in addition to the job opportunity and just getting the exposure to extremely smart and fun people in the Bay Area, is because of all the outdoors activities. So I grew up in Barbados in the Caribbean, went to local high school there and started shaping surfboards for someone who made his bread and butter doing that as a job to support his family. So I'm extremely passionate about surfing. I love it here. And San Francisco is actually one of the very few places in the world where you can have a great job, and you can have access to incredibly high-quality waves, it would be considered the best urban surf break in the world, maybe in addition to Sydney. Damn, I had no idea. Well, I knew it was good surfing there. But aren't there sharks there too, right? Yes. Um, I would lie if I tell you I haven't seen one. <laughs> it's quite a scary experience. The probability of ever getting bitten by one is less than us getting hit by lightning. But there's a 99% probability of any surfer in California having been within the proximity of 50 meters of a great white. So it came charging at us. I was with three friends in the water. 
And it was definitely a great wide, not a dolphin, because the fin looks different and it just came straight at us. It went underneath us and then left. And have excellent vision. So typically they see that we are not food, we are not seals. But they're just interested, so they'll come close to you and then they'll disappear. If you're in your wetsuit and you're tumbling in a wave, though, you look a lot like a seal, potentially, if you are maybe short and stocky, too. Like, you might be in real trouble. So that would spook me out, but good for you. You shaped surfboards in Barbados, you said? Correct. A shaper is effectively a surfboard builder. That's pretty cool. Let me ask you, and this is a weird question, is there any piece of you that ever wishes for that life again? Like the non-tech world life where you could just be hanging out and just shaping boards? Like, I know me, I hear that and I'm like, what more could someone need? Beach life, shaping surfboards. But what do you think? Tommy, that's one of the reasons why I love talking with you. There's a good mix of philosophical questions and balance. And then there's mobile growth questions. This is great. I appreciate the question. To answer it, yes. I think it's always worth reflecting to understand where we currently are in our life to realize okay where did we come from where do we want to go and is this still the path that's right for us and our families i do think about it once here but this is my realization or conclusion at least for this phase in life that every time i go back to barbados and i catch up with my friends there i realize that the opportunity we have in this industry is enormous compared to the lack of opportunity you have if you live or grow up on a Caribbean island. Doesn't mean one is worse or best, but I like to optimize for today, being exposed to this opportunity and respecting the opportunity and pulling going for it. And we can always go there if we want, but it's very hard for my friends in Barbados to come to the Bay Area or the East Coast and get our types of jobs. I look at them and I often think, they're probably a lot happier than I am. Ignorance is bliss from that perspective, maybe. One runs a fishing company for tourism. The other one has a boating company for tourism, like Katamarans. And Shay runs a surfing business for tourists, which I've done as part-time as well. It's a lot of fun and they're extremely happy. So, hey, maybe they figured it out. Maybe. It comes down to two things. It's almost like, in your case... What kind of influence do you want to have on others? And in your case, you want to have a very large influence on others in a way where obviously the goal of LinkedIn is to help people find jobs, help them network in a professional environment. Spreading that throughout the world has massive benefits for people's ability to move up, to find new occupations, whatever the case may be. Other people might just find pleasure in making one person's day like a little better because they went on a fishing trip. And I don't know that one is better than the other necessarily. They're just different, I think, modalities and ways of looking at how you interact with the world around you. At least that's my thought. I agree with you. Well put. And you're right. I think LinkedIn's mission is to create economic opportunity for the world's global workforce. And there's an enormous responsibility in that to drive that member value. And I think with preload specifically, since we're loaded on Android smartphones, about seven to 800 million a year, these are mostly shipped to emerging markets where people, in my opinion, find the best value out of our platform to unlock that economic opportunity for themselves and their families. We live in the developed world, so already quite lucky from that perspective. Yeah, 100%. Now, I want to get into the preload stuff, but I actually want to get in. I don't know that we've rounded you out as much as I'd like to, because we skipped from Barbados to preloads really quick. So tell me, Barbados, shaping surfboards, Maybe not every single thing that happened in between then and now, but what were some like the big moments in your career that got you to where you are today? Appreciate the question. After Barbados, I went to study in Rotterdam 
in the Netherlands. And it was obviously a bit of a culture shock going from like a coconut status to one of the best universities in Europe. A lot of fun. I studied international business, which gave me the opportunity to get exposed to a lot of different cultures. And that sparked the fire in me to understand, hey, I need to learn more about the world. I need to be exposed to new cultures and understand how they think. And the beauty of traveling a lot is that you start to better communicate with people since you have a slightly better understanding of what it's like to be them. So now I'm 36 and I have a family, but up until my 30s, I really optimized my life for travel. So I did that by doing an internship in Mexico City when I was 21 and studied in Mallorca, Spanish island. I visited Cambodia for six months. After I graduated, I was working for Heineken, Dutch brewing company in Kigali, Rwanda, Central Africa. It was my first sub-Saharan African experience. Beautiful country, a lot of opportunity there. I managed to travel around the region a little bit. So I just feel really blessed to have that experience because I knew once I was going to start work, whether it would be as an entrepreneur, as the majority of my friends, they started their own companies. I found my way in corporate starting at Google in 2010 in new business development as well, and then worked really hard there for five years in Europe to get a job for Google in San Francisco. And then after I received the green card, I started looking for other opportunities. And LinkedIn to me has just always been phenomenal because the value you get from the platform is just so obvious that when they were looking for someone to build their preload program to distribute the value of the platform, it seemed like a no-brainer to me and the people there were just awesome. I think the people make the party, both in our personal and professional lives, which is why I appreciate you as well as a friend, not just as like a peer in the industry. And LinkedIn is just a great group of people. There's no bad apples. I still have to find them. That's awesome. It's a pretty crazy story altogether. And not crazy in like a, whoa, I can't believe you did that way. But Mexico City, Mallorca, Cambodia, Rwanda, Rotterdam, or I think Rotterdam was before all those, but it's one of them the list. That's huge. That's a ton of different places over not that long a period of time. So it's super cool. And yeah, it does give you that exposure to so many different kinds of people and it makes you probably a way more effective communicator ultimately. You went from Google, which seems like a somewhat transformative part of your career, right? Because that's when you come to the States and you basically start working in a US corporate environment, I guess. Or no, you did it in Europe first, then you come to the States. And then you go to LinkedIn and you focus on the preload program. I guess the question I have is before you even joined LinkedIn, had you been starting to develop an interest in preload programs to some degree? Yes. I was heading up the preload program at Google for two years before joining LinkedIn. And as you know, Google built 100 different apps. I was talking to 100 different product teams to understand what's the opportunity for their app user base to grow, whether it be through advertising or preloads. What's the monetization opportunity or monetization model today? And how can we increase the effectiveness and LDVs? And that's where I learned the ropes. So it's just been a great, I often say that Google is where I received my MBA. I definitely do not want to go back to school or ever get an MBA. <laughs> but there's just a lot of high quality people there. Uh, I still have a lot of my friends working at the company. And that's where I sort of learned how everything works. And with the relationships I've built there with the Android OEMs and the skill set, I was very uh, lucky to find the opportunity at LinkedIn because they were looking for someone to build the preload program from the ground up. Awesome. So you come to LinkedIn, you got to build the preload program from the ground up. My guess is somewhere along the ranks, just like any business, or if you're doing it from the ground up, there's some resistance within that. But you all have been incredibly successful at it. 
why? What do you think about LinkedIn's preload program makes you all so good at it or has allowed you to be successful? As with any true business development responsibility, it's about building a completely new book of business. I think it starts with truly understanding what we call landscape insights and the ecosystem to understand, okay, this is how preloads fits into the existing mobile growth strategies of the company. And we already had a very effective paid marketing team focusing on running CPI campaigns and display campaigns across the usual suspects in the advertising world. And they still are very effective. We also work with an agency for app store optimization and our engineering and product teams are excellent stakeholders for the preload program as well. They're also very effective in building out new features within LinkedIn to make sure that we continue to boost that mobile growth, what we call app activations, which is either a sign-in from an existing member or a sign-up for a new member finding LinkedIn on the first time on that mobile app. And I think repetition is key. It's something I learned throughout the years. Everyone, especially at a big tech company, they have their own agenda. They're typically very busy. So in order for the preload program to also become part of their agenda and part of their project and DNA, it's all about repetition. And coming in to say, hi, I need your help. Can you do this for me, please? Typically doesn't work. But if you come in and you say, this is the ecosystem, the landscape insights. This is why preloads is the right path forward for a company to grow a mobile. And this is where we really need your help to get this done. Would there be an opportunity for you to put this into your KPIs so that it becomes a formal process. And also I looked at what you're currently doing and what do you think about this and that? So never be a pass-through. Always try to come with data insights to build those relationships internally and get a lot of time with those people to understand what their goals are, to really make sure that what you're proposing makes sense for them and their team as well. And that's one of the pieces. The other piece is... Being confident but humble. I think I made the mistake in week two to ask for $100 million. <laughs> I sat down with a few executives and I basically presented on week two, well, if we want to be on 1 billion Android smartphones, I would like to request budget, which would be $100 million. And I think I went in too fast. So it took me an additional six months to really build out the plan and the Excel spreadsheet to say, well, this is the opportunity. This is the total adjustable market. This is the serviceable adjustable market. And I believe based on what I know today, this is the serviceable obtainable market. So maybe we can start with a few less million dollars. I can run a pilot. I can prove this concept to you. And that has gone very well. So we started with Xiaomi, the second biggest Android smartphone manufacturer after Samsung. We also have a very effective integration and partnership with Samsung together with Microsoft our mother company, they've been very supportive. And that's where it started. And with the initial results from Xiaomi, we decided, okay, this is excellent for the growth of the program. Xiaomi customers and all the other Android smartphone manufacturing customers, they all shared very positive feedback. We actually got to a point now where if, for example, you live in India and you go to buy your smartphone, you buy your Xiaomi phone in a store, if LinkedIn is not preloaded, some of these customers would bring it back to the store and say, excuse me, LinkedIn is not preloaded on its phone even though they could just download it, obviously, off of the Google Play Store, but they expect it to be there. And even those people that might not have an office job today, they're starting to see the value from an app like LinkedIn because they can build their network. They have access to some free LinkedIn learning courses on how to build a resume, how to network, how to upskill into a new job. 
to provide that economic stability for their families. It also speaks to the fact that they expect a seamless experience with LinkedIn because that's what they're used to. And that seems like one of the big reasons for why this matters so much to you all is that frictionless consumer experience. Is that a big part of why you invest so heavily in the preload program? Absolutely. I would like to respond to that two ways. I think one, would you say frictionless experience could be split up in distribution, which means, okay, we're now preloaded on seven to 800 million smartphones out there. So that's the accessibility of the app. That's seven to 800 million? Yes. Oh my God. That is <laughs> so much, dude. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's right. So <laughs> I guess if you're asking for a hundred million dollars, yeah, you got to be pumping out big time numbers like that. So that's exceptional. Wow. Sorry, I cut you off. For all our listeners, we have video on here and he saw my face and my jaw dropped when he said seven, eight hundred million. But sorry, Martin, keep going. So there's a distribution part of the frictionless experience. And then... And then the other part is stage two of the program would be, okay, for anyone who has not yet logged into the app, how can we provide the value for them to understand it's worth it to at least check out the app and see what it could do for you? And that's where retargeting programs come in. We're working very closely with a few partners there and exploring that channel now that we have secured the distribution. And to clarify that 800 million volume per year, that is through eight different Android OEM preload deals. So it's effectively 90% of the total adjustable market. Dude, that's huge. Oh my God. So we're providing frictionless experience, but what we haven't dove into is when you started the program, you were going to Android manufacturers. And that seemed, in my very limited experience of preloads, right? I know because I'm in the States here, that a lot of these efforts are often powered by third-party organizations, Digital Turbine, Iron Source. Uh, I think App Next might be another one. There's a bunch. And Moby does some of it. Speak to me about maybe the differences between these two approaches. And maybe there's advantages or disadvantages to one or the other that you might be able to speak to as well. Thank you, Tommy. That's an excellent question. If you're an app developer and you want to pilot preloads and understand what the conversion rate is from being preloaded on a smartphone when someone turns it on for the first time to someone actually engaging with your app, I would immediately launch a test with Digital Turbine, Iron Source, and maybe some of the other partners that you mentioned. If you have the resources to dedicate business development or product or both talent to converse with the Android OEMs directly to set up these direct deals, most likely, one, it would scale better because 60% of the world's global smartphones are shipped through what's called open market channels. So this could be Amazon.com, it could be Best Buy, it could be a mom and pop shop, it could be a Samsung store. The other 40% are shipped through the carrier channels. Carriers typically have the ability to block any preload suggested or proposed by the Android OEM. So what we did, we also worked very effectively with the Android OEMs to offer them a productivity marketing narrative to understand how LinkedIn fits into the productivity apps already on those phones, which are often Microsoft, and how that helps the customer understand the value of why LinkedIn should be on that device together with the other productivity apps on such devices. So we're also preloaded on a lot of carrier shipments through our Android OEM channels. So to answer your question further, if you're an app developer and you would like to expand into the emerging markets, direct Android OEM deals that sell predominantly to open market channels would be an extremely effective channel for you. My other advice would be try to pay for performance rather than just the install. 
at least in the beginning, to understand what your conversion rate is to then optimize that deal and partnership. However, I also want to keep it real that if you're an app developer who is only interested in selling your smartphones or your product is only really valuable in developed countries like the US and Japan, which are predominantly carrier driven, there's probably no need for you to do a direct deal with any Android OEMs. You can get your coverage directly with some of these third-party intermediaries like Digital Turbine and Iron Source. We're both excellent companies. So the idea of going direct to the OEMs is to access that 60% of the cell phones that are sold in the open market, which is actually news to me. I didn't realize that, obviously, because I'm from the US, right? Every time I've wanted a phone, actually, I go to Apple to buy mine. But if I weren't to go to Apple, I'd go right to Verizon. I mean, that's what most people I know do. So essentially, from your perspective, y'all have 100% coverage as it's related to the avenues you could go into in order to access these phones. You're accessing the carriers through partners like DT and Iron Source and whoever, and you access the OEMs through direct deals. Right out of the gate, it feels like I'd imagine dealing with the OEMs must be a bit more cumbersome of a process in and of itself. DT is built to do this sort of stuff. They're built to handle that relationship. But managing it directly with the OEM seems hard to scale and hard to actually execute in a timely manner. Has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. Yep, you're spot on. And that's why I think if you're an app developer and you're new to preloads, you can scale very effectively by working with Digital Turbine Iron Source from the first day on. And you will be preloaded on those devices the moment that they're activated for the first time, so the day after, because Digital Turbine's technology runs on that phone already in the factory. Whereas if you do a direct Android OEM deal, it would take six to 12 months before your app is actually preloaded in the factory, then shipped to the sales channel and then sold to someone who then has to turn on the device. So there's a lag period there as well. And that's why direct Android OEM deals are very complex from that perspective, because these need to be long-term sustainable partnerships that would run for at least three to four or five years. And my learning as well is that you really have to go out there and travel to the headquarters of Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo in China, share hotpot, build those relationships, and really have that trust to understand, okay, we're doing this partnership for the long term. It's not just going to be a limited budget, but this will actually be commitment for the foreseeable future. Because there's no test here. Like in performance marketing, we're so accustomed to, we'll run a one month, maybe a quarter long test. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't, so be it. We're talking three to five year deals here and people don't want to work with someone who they don't like for three to five years. That's a nightmare for everyone involved. So to your point, the deal, just in terms of how long it actually takes to ship and building the relationships, we're probably talking something close to like two years from initial thought to actual execution, probably at a minimum. The day you think about it to the day where it actually appears on the phone, something like that has got to be the timeline here. That's right, Tommy. That's exactly it. So for companies like LinkedIn, we're stock listed through Microsoft, obviously. Android OEMs would typically not, we would need to commit to a minimum spent for the duration of the term, let's say like a year and a half or a two-year term. If you are a somewhat new developer without a stellar reputation yet, typically the Android OEMs would want you to send them the money before they actually preload you. So they have that guaranteed revenue before they start investing in talking to their carrier channels for, hey, can we preload this app? And it will be on the device in six months from now. So that's another complexity you'll deal with. But I do want to make clear that if you have the power in-house to set up direct deals, it's most likely going to drive 
two, three, four, five times higher return investments than if you do it through third parties. Interesting. That makes the most sense, especially if your business has interests in developing countries. That's where the direct deal is like, if you want to be in those spaces, you got to probably play in that direct deal OEM space in order to really drive scalable, cost-effective results. It sounds like at least that's what you're saying. Yes. What I want to ask you though, because you had mentioned like, hey, if you wanted to pilot a preload campaign, a great place to start is Iron Source, DT, whatever. I keep saying them, but those are obviously the major players here. What I'm curious about is how should someone look at the results? Because we as performance marketers are so used to display media, CRM, and they're just different experiences. Me seeing an ad on Instagram or when I'm on ESPN, clicking it and, and downloading an app, that's a way different experience than me buying a new phone and an app being there, for example. To that end, how do you accommodate to those different experiences in terms of how you assess performance? Do you look at it differently than the other channels when you're determining how effective these campaigns are? Excellent question. We look at it very similarly because for us, an app activation or someone engaging with their app is effectively the same when it comes to monetizing or what happens after that first app open. We do track the funnels from both perspectives to understand which channel is more effective in driving engagement and quality, what we call quality members, members who drive a lot of engagement on the platform, which has a spin wheel effect as well on their network, driving more quality content on the network. We see that preload is an excellent channel for that. One way to look at it is how long does it take for someone to find the preloaded app on the device after they turn it on for the first time? And also we measure retention. So our engineering team built in several events in the app and we work with our MMP singular to understand exactly, okay, what is the retention driven from each channel, whether it's preloads, specific preload deal versus some of these paid media channels that we're running. We see that the preload side is actually doing really well compared to all the other channels. It's not surprising. One of the learnings we see comparing preloads to paid media is where initially we thought, Paid media seems like there's a higher intent. Someone is clicking on an advertisement to then install the app from, let's say, the Google Play Store, then open it and use it. So in one way, there's higher intent. So the engagement should be higher. But it turns out, because there's so much friction in that funnel, the ROAS you see is also less. Whereas on the preload side, when someone actually clicks on the app, it immediately opens you bypass the step for the need to go to an app store to install it. So there is also high intent in that regard. And that's something that was a bit of a learning for us. One of the wonderful advantages you have in general, right, is you have a product that is, I use this word a lot, but it's somewhat close to ubiquity. People who work use LinkedIn or people who have aspirations of working use LinkedIn. It's almost any industry you're in, there is a use for this platform. I look at certain verticals and I say, well, this is very polar opposite, right? But if you're a hardcore game, it might not be a great solution for you in some ways. I don't know, it might be, but the ads, like you said, when you show an ad for a hardcore game, someone clicks it, it's because they're interested in that kind of product and the intent makes sense there. If you preload on their phone, you're gonna have tons of people that have no intent or intention of using it at all. So you have a nice advantage in that regard. And it feels like a perfect pairing for a program like this. Now. What see, still seems, even though LinkedIn is as big and has the brand equity that it does, right? It wouldn't surprise me if there are instances, nevertheless, where 
you invest in a particular program or a particular region and it doesn't yield for you in the same way that you would have expected it to. Maybe I'm wrong, but what I'm getting at is if you're making a three to five year commitment or you're making a large investment in, in anyone, you still need to optimize for performance. So the question is, what can you do? Once these campaigns are off the ground, is there any way to ensure or to change the settings in order to drive strong performance if it is under what your expectations are? Great question, Tommy. Again, thank you. Yes, there's a couple optimization levers that you can test out. One would be placement. So for example, on Xiaomi smartphones, we're on the plus one screen on Android in an app folder called More Apps, which is really an exploration folder for Xiaomi customers to find apps that maybe they weren't exposed to before. And even within that folder, placement really matters. I mean, most people read left to right and then top to bottom. So testing that out in itself can have a big impact. My experience is also that this actually is counterintuitive. One of the learnings from these programs is that if you negotiate premium placement on the home screen, if that's available and some of these Google contracts don't prohibit that, then what we find typically is a lot of people, not with the LinkedIn app, but in my previous company, might just immediately remove the app. Whereas if you put it on the plus one screen, <laughs> if right after device initiation, it might remove it like, oh, I didn't install this, so I don't want it. But if you have it on the plus one screen, even within a folder, that might be a good thing because people who do go there and do find it are actually interested in testing it out. So that's one optimization lever. Another one Raj on the team is currently testing out is with Xiaomi. So Xiaomi has its own advertising platform. And if you're preloaded, they can run tests on their own and operated properties, their minus one screen within the Xiaomi browser and some other real estate on their phones. They can target preloaded smartphones that have not yet opened the app because our servers only get a ping once someone's actually clicked on the app. Only once it's open, we know, okay, we're preloaded on this device, but they already know if they're preloaded or not. So that's a valuable channel, or that should be a valuable channel. And I'll let you know on the next time we talk. <laughs> so you're just about to launch something like that. That's cool. It's a lot. How many people are on your team managing these campaigns? Is it just you and Raj? Correct. Currently, it's just the two of us. We're getting headcount for a third person to join us. It's a bit wild, and I love our team. And there's a lot of opportunity still. Just for comparison, I think Facebook's preload team is uh, 15 people. Twitter is three. Booking has five. So it's still a niche industry, but we could definitely use some brain power out there. So if anyone is listening to this podcast and you're interested in joining our team, there's a lot of opportunities. Please feel free to reach out. I would have to imagine you need more, right? I mean, just the sheer volume of what you're dealing with. It's so big. And to really spend time diving into all that data and everything that you could, all the insights you could wean from it. Two people, I almost feel sorry for you guys, but you're so successful that I can't really feel sorry for you. You guys are killing it. Martin, as always, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I always love chatting with you, man. And I'm so happy we got to make this finally happen. It had been a long time coming. So thank you. I really appreciate it. And we'll have you back sometime soon, dude. Great. Thank you, Tommy. I appreciate you. Thanks. For all our listeners, today's guest is Martin Lancy from LinkedIn. Martin, thanks again, dude. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.